0: chapter 18 Matthew chapter 18 and this morning I want to teach on binding and loosing what does that mean in the scripture Matthew chapter 18 the first book of the New Testament verse number 18 verily I say unto you whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound In heaven, whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my father, which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Binding and loosing. Some years ago, I heard a minister who had already raised his kids and now had grandkids telling a story. And he said one of the men in his church had called him on the telephone and said, Pastor, can I come by and talk to you? I just need a little bit of help. My son is just giving me all kinds of fits and I can't do a thing with him. And so the pastor waited in his office having made an appointment with this individual and when the gentleman showed up he came walking into the office with a little five-year-old boy and so after they exchanged pleasantries then the pastor said to him where's your where's your son that you can't do anything with that you're having problems with and he said well pastor it's my son here this this little boy can't do anything with him he just he's rebellious he won't listen to me he Talks back, he throws tantrums, and I'm just at wit's end with how to handle them. <clears throat> so the pastor, he said, you, you mean to tell me you can't do anything with this little five-year-old boy? I said, yes, sir. He said, well, I'm going to take him and go over here into this other room, and if you promise me that you won't come running when you hear him screaming, I'll show you that I can do something with this boy. Well, of course, the, the, the father wasn't expecting an answer like that. But that is what the answer or the solution that the pastor had for the little boy that was causing problems. Because from the pastor's perspective, if you couldn't do anything with the little five-year-old boy now, what are you going to do with him when he's 16? 2016. Now Jesus in talking with his disciples and ministering these verses, I want you to notice that he puts the obligation on the people and he says, whatever you bind, it'll be bound in heaven if you bind it on earth. When he says to bind something, he's saying to stop it, to cause it to cease from occurring. that's what he's talking about. And the Lord is making it very plain that God the Father in heaven is going to mimic what you down here on planet earth. There's no sense in praying to God about fixing things that are fixable by you on planet earth. And this is why verse 19 makes it very plain. If you have two people that touch and agree on earth concerning anything they ask, it'll be done of the heavenly Father. So agreement is essential. And where you don't have agreement, then you have division. Where you have division, it's much more difficult to get anything accomplished in a family or even in a church. If a church is split right down the middle regarding anything, what color to paint a room or what color carpets to have on the floor, whether or not they ought to build or not build, then you cannot move forward. Now, most people think when Jesus is talking like this, he's talking about binding devils and loosing devils. That's not what he's talking about at all. All of this begins with verse 15 of that same chapter. Notice the verses. If your brother trespasses or sins against you, go and talk to him privately about the fault. And if he listens to you, you've gained a brother. So if you have somebody that's done something to you or against you and it has hurt you, Don't just sit around and talk about them behind their back. Go to them privately and and deal with the issue and say, look, this is what you said. This is what you did. You may not have meant for it to be said this way or understood this way, but this is how I interpreted it. And the scripture says that you now have gained a brother because you went to this individual alone. But then he says in verse 16, if he doesn't hear you, then take one or two others with you, because in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. If someone calls themselves a Christian and you know they have lifted something from your property and you have gone to this individual and they say, well, no, I didn't take anything from you, but yet you see your property in their house when you go there or somewhere outdoors then you take somebody else with you as the scripture says and said look this belonged to me you got this from me and this individual may continue to lie but at least now you have gone with them and the scripture says in the mouth of two or three witnesses you've got people there that can testify that we're trying to fix this and then you can see in verse 17 if they still are stubborn and obstinate then you tell it to the church And if they neglect to hear the church, then the church will treat him like he's a heathen or a tax collector and basically ask him or her to leave. It rarely ever gets that far. But the point is very simple. God will put up with anything that you put up with. But if you determine you're not going to put up with it, then God, he also will say, I'm not going to put up with it either. But it's a decision that we have to make individually, and I can show you this in other scriptures. If you turn to the last book of the Bible, go to Revelation chapter 2. I want to show you what happened in the church of Thyatira. Revelation chapter 2, beginning with verse Number 18, unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write these words, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like brass. I know your works, your charity, your service, and faith, and your patience, and your works, and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against you. You suffer that woman Jezebel, who calls herself to be a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. I gave her space to repent of her fornication. She did not repent. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds, and I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he that searcheth the reins and hearts and will give unto you according to your individual works. That's my paraphrase on the KJV. But here's the point. There's an issue in the church. There's a problem in the church. There is a lady in the church, apparently, who's supposed to be a prophetess. And she has gained some notoriety and has a following in the church. And the Lord is saying, I have this against you because you are permitting this to take place. You know that this individual is teaching false doctrine and teaching the Christians to commit fornication. So he said, I have a I have a problem with that. First of all, they knew about it. See, sometimes people in churches will know that something is going on that is incorrect and inaccurate, but they don't want to be the one to say anything about it. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like when somebody in town will know who it is that's selling drugs to all the kids and all the younger people in town, but nobody wants to mention it or turn their name in because they say, well, you know, I went to school with their grandpa. See? Because of relations, I don't want to say anything about it if you don't stop something then it persists and this is what he's saying about this in the church everybody in the church knows about what Jesus is telling John and writing to this church but yet no one is saying anything about it because they don't want to offend anyone But that's not a healthy way to conduct yourself as a Christian So knowing about it was a problem. Secondly, then they permitted it. And then thirdly, they allowed the person to have influence in the church. Now, can you imagine being a Christian church and having someone in there teaching that it's okay to commit fornication and not be married? Now, we we may think that that wouldn't go on, but I can promise you right now, that kind of a thing takes place in uh, more places than than we realize yeah in in our present society i have run into well let me start it this way in it, currently in america i think some of the last strongholds and citadels of conservative and christian type values would be rural america and then large swaths of the south in the Bible Belt. That's, that's what I believe, just from traveling through the decades and preaching the gospel. And the, the reason that I say that is because if you think about the small towns, you older ones, you realize that 50... Sixty years ago, the average small town had values and ethics that were greater than what you can find in the average Pentecostal or evangelical church today. Yeah. Just because of the differences in people's opinions. Well, We're seeing things change and very often you'll hear people say, well, I I just don't understand why why that goes on in churches and why churches allow that to take place. It's because people no longer see anything wrong with it or no one wants to be the one to say anything about it. That's what it is. Uh, It's hardly... A six month period that goes by that I don't get a letter in the mail from somebody that's complaining about a church they attend, whether it's an ELCA Lutheran or United Methodist Church or United Church of Christ, whatever type of fellowship it is. And there's normally some kind of complaint about the fact that there's a liberal tendency or spirit that is now in the church and people aren't happy with it, and and usually when I read the letter, my first thought is, okay, have you said anything about it? That's my first thought. My second thought is, okay, if you've said something about it, and they haven't changed, why are you there? See? Why are you there? Remember what Jesus said, if you bind it on earth, it's Whatever you put up with in the church, God says, look, why, do you, why are you praying for me to change something when you already made the decision? There's nothing wrong with it. Same thing in the home. Yeah. Why why pray about God stopping something in our homes when it's in our power to stop it? Yeah, my, mom and dad made, or excuse, excuse me, God made mom and dad the locksmiths of the house. Yeah. So they have the ability to to deal with this and to deal with that. I know as a pastor, with everything taking place in this world, people so inundated with social media and television and radio that all week long folks are fighting the devil, Their minds are being saturated with stuff that very often doesn't have anything to do with God. So as a pastor then, I watch what comes through that door. I listen to what people talk about. I pay attention to what's going on in people's lives because I realize as as one of the leaders here in the church, if it goes on here at the church, we're the ones that put up with it. Yeah, yeah, we're the ones. So there have been plenty of times through the... Decades out here in Nebraska, where I've had conversations with people that hadn't always been uh, the kind of conversations that make people smile. Yeah, I remember I had a gentleman one time was, was in one of the other churches was not married to a lady but was on one of those lists for uh, bothering little kids. And so here they were shacked up. We're out having service, and he's showing up on communion. Night all the time, and so I, I finally told after this went on one or two times. I finally told some of the the, the elders down there in the other church. I said, "Now look, uh, we we got to have a talk with this gentleman because living together outside of wedlock isn't God." And I said, "We certainly can't be can't be doing communion with him because every time we do communion, then what we're saying is we agree with how you're living." Yeah, and so when we had that conversation. Uh, Of course, you know that the the answer or the reply, I should say, is where you're being judgmental. Well, of course we are. I mean, the Bible says he that spiritual judges all things. Uh, Parents, you, you have to be judgmental all the time. As your kids were being raised, didn't you didn't you ever find them hanging out occasionally with one or two people when they're teen years that you may not have been so happy about? Didn't you voice your opinion? Kids might have said they didn't like it, but it didn't change the fact that you had the right to say it. I remember my mom and dad telling me one time, I, I saw when I was driving up the road, I saw you with a, that, that young man lives on the other corner there, just wanna make sure he don't ever be in our house and in our yard. I said, well, mom, I mean, you just, you, you just can't be saying that about, about my friends and other people. Well, I just believe I can say whatever I wanna say since you're living here for free. And I brought you into this world. I so, said, okay. So he never made it in the house and never got an invitation to, to the yard. Now, I could have gotten angry and I could have called 911 and went to a guidance counselor at school and told him that my, my little ego and personality had, had been hurt by what my mom and dad said. And I could have had all these people sympathize with me, but it wouldn't have changed what she said. See? And that's what they told me. One time in my life, I threatened to call 911. Once. (laughs) I told them that when I was real little and they did something and made me mad. And I said, I'll run over there to that telephone and I'll dial 911. And my mom and dad looked at me and said, that's not going to be your problem. You've got to put the phone down. And said, after you dial 911, before by the time they get here, there won't be much of you left for them to carry out of here. So I just decided we don't need to do 911 9- <laughs> at all. But but here, here's the point. My family was not Christian. They didn't know anything about God. But what little light they had on raising us, here was their opinion. If we say it's not gonna happen, then it's just not going to happen. See? What, what, what principle were they applying? What you bind on earth is bound in heaven. See, that's, that's how that works. Well, let's go quickly to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to show you this from another approach. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. This is very important also. And I'm just going to start with verse number 1. And listen to what Paul is saying it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you and the kind of fornication that should not even be named among Gentiles that someone should have his father's wife. Can you imagine in ancient times a young man sleeping with his stepmom or something like that? In verse 2, but you're puffed up and you're not mourning that he that has done this deed should be taken away from me. So he's saying, rather than you hoping this person would be, get out of the church or leave the church, you don't seem to have a problem with it at all. You, you're proud of the fact that this kind of fornication or incest is going on. Now tell me we don't see that in the world today. Absolute pride when it comes to how they live their lives and they don't want anybody to say to them that what they are doing is... Is wrong. One of our piano players told me many, many years ago that Pastor Darrell went back home to my home church. She mentioned the denomination, and she said, Our, our home church, they, they announced that Sunday that well, they were now accepting transgender people to teach from the pulpit, and the church started applauding. See, rather than mourning, they have gloried in it. So verse three, Paul says, but I as absent in the body, but present in the spirit have already made a judgment as though I were present concerning the one that's done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you're gathered together and my spirit is there with you with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Now, what is he saying? He's saying that in the church, there should be a degree of modesty that we should be the place where people understand that we live contrary to the culture of the world because of the principles of Scripture, rather than glorying in sin. Folks, don't modify the Bible just because you have a good friend or somebody in your family that lives contrary to the book. The book doesn't change. The book says the same thing today. And don't get mad and say that somebody's being judgmental because of this particular verse or that particular chapter in the scripture. This book was written long before any of us were even conceived. And trying to change the meaning of it doesn't change what happens when people read the book. The book is inspired, it's infallible, it's inerrant, and it's designed to produce conviction in the heart by the mighty power of the Holy Spirit. And when that comes, if God gives the power to convict, he gives the power to repent. Wherever there's a power to repent, there's power to give a brand new life. A person has to be willing for that. So Paul says that that we should be the kind of people that understand that modesty is necessary, but at the same time to realize that these kinds of sexual sins should not be tolerated. Some people today don't want toleration. They don't even just want approval. They want toleration, approval, and the promotion of a lifestyle that's contrary to Scripture. And today, you know as well as I do that common law marriage or companionate marriage, or as older folks would call shacking up, that's, that's par for the course for many people who call themselves Christians. But it's still a sin. It doesn't change the scripture at all. And we should do everything we can to discourage our little boys and little girls and our older people from going down that path. I recall uh, one time Tiffany and I were at a dinner we were sitting at a table with some people, and there was an older lady explaining why, for another couple, said they should just go ahead and get married. Oh, no, that's not what she said. She said they don't need to get married. She said they should just go ahead and live together, because after all, if, if they get married, it's going to mess up their Social Security. So he wants his money, she wants her money. And so they should just go ahead and just combine their relationships. And I can't tell you the number of people I've seen do that out here. Well, they'll get up and have a union marriage. Well, they'll remain legally separated, but through a union marriage and some blessing of a preacher, they now live together and act as though they are married. And the scripture says here in verse six, your glorying is not good. Our pride is not good. He says, don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? It's exactly what it does. Talking about yeast, just a little bit affects all of it. Purge out therefore the old leaven that you may be a new lump as ye are unleavened, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. So he's trying to teach us here that fornication was a sin under the old covenant, is still a sin outside of the covenant of marriage. So, verse 8 let us keep the feast not with old leaven neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth, I wrote unto you in the epistle, not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with fornicators of this world, or with covetous extortioners, idolaters, for this you must go out of the world. But now I've written to you, not to keep company with any man, listen, that calls himself a brother or sister, and they're a fornicator." What is he saying? He's saying, look, if if a person says, I love the Lord Jesus Christ with all my heart, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. He's the governor of my life. But yet that person says I bow my knees to Jesus every day. I read my Bible. I pray my prayers. I do all of that. And I'm just as holy, just as clean, just as pure, just as good in the eyes of God as you are. The scripture says that kind of a Christian is not the kind of person you should be spending your time with. And the reason for that is because this individual with that mixed life is going to send bad signals to the next generation and to the people around them. Because people won't know what is right and what is wrong. it, It is not my intention to offend anybody in here, but it's also not my intention to modify anything in this book. When I hear the state of New York or some other state say that they now want to introduce to five-year-olds sex educational talk and then want our little kids to not understand what gender they are. Then I hear utter confusion. And what, what makes it even worse is the churches in those areas very often are very quiet about what's taking place because no one wants to offend anyone now the world doesn't mind offending us and they don't care about changing and amending and confusing your kids but when we come to what the scripture says there are millions of people in america today who will tell you they are christians they love the lord some will even tell you they talk in tongues and they're in love with someone who is of the same gender or they'll say god is not disappointed with me or displeased with me when i live together outside the covenant of marriage i'm telling you that is deception utter deception. The book doesn't change, folks. The, this, this language is quite clear. It's certainly explicit. If it's anything, it's, it's explicit. Let me continue. But now I've written unto you not to keep company of any man that is called a brother, be a fornicator, a or covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such a one, no, not eat. So he's saying that lifestyle is interrupting or disrupting fellowship. That's what he's saying. It's a disruption to genuine fellowship. You can't even speak your heart and talk about the word of God as you would like to, because they have decided on purpose to live contrary to scripture. Go to the third book of the Bible, which is Leviticus 18. And as we go through some of this, I just want to mention something about about modesty a a little bit a friend of mine who's a pastor had a daughter that they raised in church and they're just great parents really loving people i mean he's one of these pastors I, i don't know that i've ever seen him angry in my life i don't know if he even has that kind of temperament but they raised their kids in church to love god well she went off went to college and whatever college she went to the counselors and professors taught her that she was abused by being taken to church over and over again consistently week after week and she bought into it literally started going to see a therapist because she felt like she had been abused by being taken to church and being told this is right this is wrong well one day After years of having to deal with this and being made to feel ashamed of being pastors and raising their kids in the word of God, he and his daughter were, I believe, at an ice cream shop. And so when they met at the ice cream shop, he came from home. It was a hot day. She came from her home. And when he saw her, he was somewhat stunned by how she was dressed. So... She's kind of thick and shapely. And so she, she had on one of these shirts where it was twisted up in a knot so that everything was pushed up. And then from about here all the way down to just below her belly button, everything was exposed. And then she had on some really, really tight, tight shorts that maybe only were about to here. And, and so when he, he looked at it, he was like, oh, he said, honey. He said, do you really want to go in here like this? And she said, oh, dad you will learn to be comfortable with who you are instead of being judgmental. So they were in line, and they ordered their ice cream or coffee or whatever it was they had to order. So he just said, I, excuse me, I don't need to run to the restaurant. So you have to understand, my friend, he's about six feet tall, every bit of 300 pounds, and has a belly that hangs over his belt, you'd never see the buckle at all. So he goes into the bathroom, and since he only has a t-shirt on, he takes the, the uh, sleeves, tucks them all up on the inside, then he takes his, his t-shirt, pulls it all the way up here, ties it in a knot, and you got to understand, he's also very hairy. And so all of that is tied up, and and he just kind of took his belt, took his pants, and just pushed them down just a little bit further, and then he came walking out, you know, just strolling, doing one of these here, and and of course, his daughter wasn't paying attention at all, and so he's just standing there like this and everything, and she turns around and just happens to, oh, dad, what is wrong with you, and went to pulling on stuff, trying to cover him up, and he said, I'm just showing you that I'm comfortable with my body. See? See, in, in her mind, it was okay for her to be like that, but not for dad to be like that. But see, folks, if it's not good for dad, it may not be good for you. See? Okay, notice in Leviticus 18, I'm going to move fast through this because I don't want to spend a whole lot of time reading through all of these verses, but this is the chapter that clearly articulates things that should not be done with regard to the various genders and sexuality. So starting with verse number three, the Lord tells the children of Israel that they're not to do according to the habits and customs of the people in Egypt or according to the customs of the people in the land of Canaan, where he's bringing them. So he starts with verse six and comes all the way down talking about. We should not uncover the nakedness of various family members and people. Now you know as well as I do that, that, that's, that's contrary to Western culture. Now in Eastern culture today, it's still like that. In you, the you, Middle East, when I, all the years I lived there, it didn't matter if you were Christian or Muslim. I mean, they just about had everybody wrapped up like they came off Noah's Ark and every ankle, everything was covered, and all of that kind of stuff. But Western culture isn't like that, you know. We, we're a lot more expressive. We're a lot more open. Uh, with, with how we dress and how we uh, conduct ourselves. But, but here you can see that the one thing that was essential in the ancient times was that we weren't beholding nudity, which you can find all over the television today, even in movies that are supposed to be PG. See, PG. Notice then in verse Number 15. It continues, don't uncover the nakedness of your daughter in laws. It goes into your extended family and so on and so forth. But it makes it very plain in this chapter that what is not supposed to occur are relations between people who are outside of marital situations and also people who are also of the same gender. Not supposed to do that. Chapter 19 talks to us about ensuring that we don't prostitute our children in verse 29. See, verse 29 of Leviticus 19. So we, uh, our young ladies, we want them to be young ladies. We want them to look like young ladies, but we don't want the world to govern their life and control every aspect of them. Now, going back to, to 18, you can see where the Lord says in verse 27, these abominations the men of the land have done which were before you and the land was defiled. But he says, I don't want you to do them so the land won't spew you out. Now, what does that mean? That means when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, the Lord said, Don't be like the Egyptians where I'm taking you from. Don't be like the Canaanites where I'm leading you. And he's saying that these lifestyles, committing adultery, uh, people that involve themselves with relations of the same gender, it got so bad where he even speaks about people having physical relations with animals. He said, these things are sinful. These things are wrong. Stay away from that when you come into the promised land. Otherwise, this land that's supposed to be a place of blessing is going to turn around and become a place of a curse, and you'll be driven from the land. So here's my question there. If, if the Bible tells us that adultery is wrong, and most of the world knows that incest is wrong, is wrong And then the very next verse goes into same-sex relations. Why is one of the three okay, but the other two still wrong? When the same chapter says all of them are wrong. If I'm a Christian and I'm in the kingdom of God, and you're a believer and you're in the kingdom of God, if we want to continue to enjoy the blessings of God, we need to avoid those things that will cause the blessings of God to be turned into a curse. Walk with God and trust God that he loves you enough and he'll look after you. Go to First Timothy now and go to chapter number 1. First Timothy chapter number 1. I am watching homes explode over these issues because here will be a, a, a man who has a son that ends up confused or a couple that have a daughter that ends up confused and people are wondering how to address it what to say what not to say and on the basis of that there's 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 a lot of uh, disagreement and discord and broken hearts and words are being spoken that can't be unsaid and memories are made that are hurting a whole lot of feelings and so people are turning from God walking away from God because their their minds are saturated with a culture that's saying you should approve of something that I'm doing even though I I know God's word says I, I shouldn't be doing it, but you're my mom. You're my uncle. You're my sibling. You should love me regardless. See, and homes are being destroyed over that. And it's not an issue of love. Do you know you can love people and disagree with what they're doing? Yeah, you can be displeased with how they are conducting themselves. So first Timothy one, verse number 19 Paul is telling Timothy, hold faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning the faith have made shipwreck of whom is. Look at that long name. Don't, don't you just love a short name like Todd? Doesn't have all them syllables in it like this here of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Now, you just ran into that in 1 Corinthians five. Where Paul said when people commit this sin, you should mourn that they're still in your midst. And then he says that they should be delivered unto the adversaries for the destruction of the flesh. What he's saying is if you get someone in the church who is absolutely determined to live a lifestyle that is contrary to Scripture and is downright foul, then that individual should not be left in the congregation to permit that to spill over into the lives of other people. And Paul says by doing so, if they're going to persist in that, maybe their physical body will ultimately be destroyed. However, whatever they have in them that still loves God, that's a remnant of the king that's left, that'll be delivered. And they'll still somehow make it into the presence of the king. That's what he's saying, that God won't leave them around here long enough to just continue to do that kind of stuff. Now, God is the only one that knows what his cutting off point is, but I'm just trying to simply show you where Paul gives an illustration of its application. Here is someone that put away the faith and a good conscience, and they made shipwreck. How did they do that? Well, think about the Titanic. You know, small things that kept the Titanic from making it back here to America. Somebody didn't have a set of binoculars that they should have had. People here in America didn't ever want to acknowledge that there were icebergs out there and send the right signals to the people that were on the vessel. And they were steaming along so fast in that water that they didn't even have time to see the trouble that was up ahead. And by the time they saw it, they were on it. They'd hit it. They didn't have the right kinds of flares on the Titanic. Shoot red flares as a a symbol of distress. All they had were white flares. It was supposed to be an unsinkable ship. Nobody ever thought there would be a problem. And so they started shooting the white flares up in the middle of the night. And a vessel that was miles away saw the white flares and thought they were celebrating. 1,500 people lost their lives or so simply because as the people were seeing the flares going up, they misunderstood what was taking place. It was the little things that helped sink the thing. And then by the time it hit the bottom, there were still people here in America that wouldn't even acknowledge there was a problem in the first place. And you find somebody that shipwrecks their faith, I can tell you it started, the problem started long ago. This doesn't begin overnight. Somebody sits in a church and gets angry, gets bitter, gets offended, or somebody sits at home and they're upset with a family member or upset with an enemy or something like that. Bitterness sets in and before you know it, they don't want to read the Bible anymore. They don't want to answer the phone when a Christian calls. They don't want to see or hear anything that has to do with the gospel. And just like the Titanic, they're sailing towards an iceberg and they're blind toward where they're going. And they just keep going, and they they go faster and faster, because if the devil can't overcome you, he'll overwhelm you. He'll just make you go further and further, work you harder and harder. And by the time you hit the iceberg and realize it's trouble, you still have too much pride to ask for help. Yeah, happens all the time. Them people on that Titanic were sad the way those people died, Only had a handful of rescue boats when they should have had a bunch of them on there. But because they thought it was an unsinkable vessel, they didn't have near the lifeboats that they needed. But you know what they did? When the vessel started tipping up so that it was going down under the water, they locked all the doors so the people in the second and third classes couldn't get out and get into the lifeboats. Only the wealthy from the first class made it into the lifeboats. And finally, when the doors were open in the second and third class, people could get out. They were out there in the water screaming and moaning for their lives. And they were trying to get to the lifeboats. And the people from the first class were just pushing their boats further and further from the people, listening to them moan and scream and cry. And the ones who did make it to the lifeboat, they just hung on the sides and froze to death. Some of the survivors say they had to listen to the the cries and screams of these people for over an hour before it finally went quiet. Pride, folks, pride. We know that something is wrong, we know that what we're doing is wrong. Or even worse, we're blinded by the pride and don't want to accept the fact that what we're doing is wrong. And so we just start sailing along and we don't want to hear what anybody has to say. People are saying, slow down. You're going too fast. You're on the wrong path. It was, oh, mom, dad, you don't understand. This isn't the leave It to beaver world. Didn't say it was the leave It the beaver world. We just said, slow down. You're on the wrong path. Preacher, you don't understand. This is just a different time now. Kids are different today than they were 40 and 50 years ago. All I'm saying to you is the same sinful tendencies that are in kids today were in kids yesterday. Slow your roll. Turn and go in a different direction. You do not have to continue down a path that's going to lead you to shipwreck your faith and then still try to tell people how much you love God and are stranded and don't even realize it. This is what Paul said. This is what he said. And he's letting them know it's in your power to do something about it and to change it. And then the last thing I want to read to you is from Third John verses 9 through 11. That's Maybe your second or third last book of the New Testament. But in third John, it tells about a church where there was a man in there in verse nine who loved to have the preeminence. And John said, when I come, I'll remember this man's deeds and all of his malicious words and how he was kicking people out of the church who wanted to support us verse 11 of 3 John, he says, Don't follow that which is evil, but that which is good. He that does good is of God, but he that doeth evil has not seen God. He's telling them, when I come, we're going to deal with this issue because it's within the power of the church to deal with this man and to deal with his sin. And folks, if we don't deal with the issues that come up before us, then they will persist. It's not enough to curse the darkness. Somebody's got to turn the light on from time to time. You know? And we, we may all be able to recognize that this isn't the nation that it once was, or values have changed, and people are changing. We all acknowledge that, but the only way to provide an antidote, some Christian has to open his or her mouth. Yeah. We have to be the light. Our uh, teachers and uh, people involved with the school system, oh, they've got a tremendous task, you know, because they, there's pressure on them all the time, teachers' unions and everything else, to just move in this direction, move in that direction. But I remember years ago, I was teaching in uh, one of the high schools, teaching over in Friend, I believe it was, and I was talking with one of the teachers when I had to do a history class. and. And they were explaining to me how they handle some of these different things. They said, you know, Pastor, we've got to put together all these outlines and stuff like that. The state says we have to do. He says, I put together the outlines, but I teach what I want to teach in here. I said, oh, I love that. I love that. Yeah, and he said, "And if I get one of these kids that, that asks me a question and, they, and, and it gets us on the subject of the Bible, he said, I'll let the kids stay right there. I said, Wow. You know, I said, well, what if you get a parent that complains? He said, it doesn't matter because it's not me leading the discussion. One of the kids asked it and they're the ones having a discussion. I said, you're my hero. You're my hero, you see. But, but everywhere there's this push, you know, to, to just take people in a different direction. And the more people that are affected out here, the more that comes into the church. Because you, you, you find a, a doctor on the outside, a businessman on the outside, or just a good man on the outside, the protocols on his job may be totally different than the protocols written down in Scripture. But you take the protocols in his life, bring those same people into the church, and then when you start dealing with problems in the church, they want to resolve conflicts in a church the same way you resolve conflicts in a secular world. It's not the same. Because what is a sin in the church... It's still a sin in the church regardless, but you can have have sin where there is no crime. Yeah, it's not a crime today for people to live together outside of wedlock. It's a sin in the church for that to take place. Yeah, it's not a crime in society for people to live in adultery and have three and four way relationships, but it's a sin in the church. And when you try to bring the wisdom of the world into the house of God to try to affect the lives of people in the church, then you bring about confusion. And now we don't know what bathroom we ought to use. Does it, You understand this? Yeah. My prayer is that we don't have any young people to grow up and don't know who they are in God and in Christ. And that we don't have any older people that leave this world weeping and crying because they are saying, oh, my God, I can't believe the church is so falling away from God. But I want to give my days to preaching the gospel to you so that, you know, when your grandkids and great grandkids show up in church, they're going to hear an old fashioned gospel message and nobody's going to walk out saying, I wonder what the pastor was trying to say. They'll know exactly what was meant when the Word was taught. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's stand. I think we ought to at least pray for our nation, pray for our region. We could use prayer. Pray for our young people. Can't ever pray for them enough, couldn't we? Can't can't, can't pray for them enough because we need the Lord to bless them. Heavenly Father, as we have taken the time to listen to what you have placed in your Word We pray, Lord, for a wonderful spirit of grace and love and mercy and compassion to be manifested in our hearts. But we also thank you for the wisdom that we need in order to live in a world that is so ungodly. But, Father, we pray for our young people. And I pray for every one of these young ones in here right now that by your grace and mercy you keep them so that their feet would be soundly planted in the kingdom of God. Let our young men grow up to be strong men of the faith and with a relationship with you. Let our young girls, young ladies grow up to know that it's wonderful to be fearfully and wonderfully made by you, God to not be ashamed of who they are or confused about their identity. I pray for our school teachers, Lord, that that every day across this nation are having to walk into classrooms and deal with these issues. I pray for school board members, Lord, that have to sit there and try to just finagle their way through so many decisions that have to be made. For our faculty members, Lord, that God, you'd give them a spirit of understanding and let, Lord, let there be revival that breaks out in this valley, in our churches, in your true church, God, where people would be driven to their knees to pray. I pray, God, that where there's drunkenness and adultery and so much that takes place up and down this valley with regard to drugs and substance abuse, Lord, I'm praying for liberty and, and, and deliverance, oh God, so that when they visit the tabernacle, they can find the freedom that they need, Lord. You said that your truth sets people free. It's our desire, God, to live for you, to be examples for a nation that needs examples today. Help the church to have the right heroes, God. Help us to live wisely before you. We honor you and we praise you in Jesus' mighty name, O oh God. And everybody said,